these are both putting architecture in the spotlight. These these huge tech companies have been hindered by their architecture, right? And so they're both building Campus 2.0s, and they're looking at ways to create a place for their futures, and they're doing it through architecture. And I think that's a, just an interesting thing to think about because there's a lot of entities out there that don't think like that. Welcome to the Archispeak Podcast, the podcast for architects by architects, where we discuss all things about architecture. I'm Neil Pan. Each episode, Evan Troxel, Cormac Phelan, and me invite you in on the conversation as we talk about everything in the profession, both the good and the bad. Maybe you're considering a career in architecture, you're still in school, or you've been around the block more times than you'd like to admit. Join us in the studio as we gather around the water cooler and talk about this profession we call architecture. It's time for some Arcaspeak. Welcome to episode 56 of the Arcaspeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Droxel. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And first up, this show is sponsored by ArtCat. We'll have more to talk about them later in the show, but first we have a few friends of the show to announce. All right, we've got several friends of the show this week. First off, we have Stephen Ramos, and Stephen Ramos says he's a huge fan of the show and that we are part of his holy trinity of Archie Nerd podcasts. And it is us, Enix Sears, and Mark LePage. That would also be the Business of Architecture podcast and the Entrepreneur Architect podcast. And so we, we love being part of the holy trinity there of the Arc and Nerd podcast. He especially appreciates the dynamic of the show, and uh, he, he loves that we have multiple personalities. I think he's talking about you, Neil. And it seems very natural and improvised. That's because it is. Um, and he got into architectural social media this year with his blog and has enjoyed engaging with us on Twitter and Architox. It's been a lot of fun. So thank you very much, Stephen Ramos, for your $20 donation. Next on the list is Laura Teagarden, and Laura donated $11, and why did she donate $11 to the Arcspeak podcast? Well, it took 11 years from starting college to official licensure, well below the national average, I believe, right there. So here's $11 to keep us from putting, (laughs) to keep us putting out great content, not to keep us from putting out great content. Look forward to our donuts, by the way. And she says that she is going to buy donuts if we go to Atlanta for the AIA convention this year. And we also have a honorary friend of the show who is a third-year student of architecture in Rio. And the name of this new friend of the show and why are they honorary? Well, Aloysio Kuna is honorary because she does not have, I think it's a she, I don't know actually, it could be a he, I'm sorry, I don't know. They are looking toward getting an international credit card at some point so they can become a friend of the show. So we thought it might as well be right now that they become an honorary friend of the show. And they've also listened to all 50 of the podcasts and uh, loves the United States point of view. And so we're sorry, uh, Aloysio, for putting you through all that. And then our final new friend of the show this week is Eric Whitman. And Eric is a young millennial architect who was laid off twice during the recession. 
Even though uh, I'm recently licensed, I still like to consider myself an intern in this profession because I hate thinking I've ever reached a level where I'm above learning more. That is an awesome attitude, Eric. Thank you very much for donating $10 to the Arca Speak podcast. And we look forward to interacting with all of our new friends of the show more on Twitter. If you'd like to become a friend of the show, please head over to arcaspeakpodcast.com slash donate. And any donation of $5 or more gets your name read on the show and our sincerest gratitude. Thanks, everybody, for becoming a new friend of the show this week on the Arcus Peak Podcast. Yes, thank you. And uh, and as I teased there earlier um, about the, the donuts from Laura, we will be in Atlanta come uh, May, what, 14th through the 16th? Something like that. Yeah. And it's really because of the donuts. Absolutely. That was the Sealed key. Sealed the deal. Sealed the deal. I bought my plane tickets after that comment. Yep. Yeah. So uh, everybody look out. We're giving you fair warning that we're going to be there. And uh, we've got some fun stuff planned. More to come on that. Cormac, you had uh, you wanted to mention uh, something else, something more kind of uh, recent in the news. Yeah. Got a couple of uh, news articles or news bits that I wanted to uh, to mention. Start off with the good news. The Commerce Department put out uh, that the public sector construction has increased 5.1% from January 2014 to January 2015. So that's good. I know it's not necessarily good for you, Neil, because you don't work on public sector projects, but I know Evan and I do. And um, I don't know about you, Evan, but it's starting to show a lot more in the increase in at least projects that we're shortlisted for and going after so it's good news it's good news for everybody who works on public sector projects yeah definitely and i think something this is something that we never paid attention to when i was in school and now it's something we pay very close attention to yes especially after the more recent uh years where um students were coming out of school and they couldn't find a job um, and it was because nobody was building. Right. So it, it's really good. So it should be kind of reassuring to students out there that, and I, I know for us, we're looking. So if you're in the uh, Rockville, Maryland area, look us up. <laughs> and what's the name of that firm? Smolin Emmer Ilkovich Architects. That's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Or SEI Arc. Yeah, HMC's looking for people, too, uh, down here in Southern California, for sure. And probably in all of our offices in California. Yeah, I've almost got my wife convinced. Yeah. <laughs> Mom away. <laughs> Only because, you know, it's going to make it a lot easier for me to get a good night's sleep when we record these podcasts. Instead of doing it in the middle of the night, <laughs> I can do it in the daytime like you guys. Is the sun still up there? Daytime? It's dark out here. <laughs> Not quite. Yes, it's dark. Not quite daytime. Well, then we also had a a little bit of uh, somber news, and that's uh, the passing of uh, two very well-known famous architects, uh, Free Auto, who, um, if anybody knows, was the uh, architect of the um, 1972 Berlin um, Olympic uh, Stadium, which, uh, I'm pretty sure it's 72, but... um, I, I remember seeing it when I was uh, living in Germany and driving past it. And it was, I mean, almost the, it, it just was something completely different than anything else in the, in the surrounding. It's one of those buildings that just 
is a magnet, right? It just pulls oh, yeah. your eyes in first, and then it pulls in your kind of sense of adventure, right? You want to go check it out. Yeah. It's just a yeah. beautiful, beautiful thing. And um, somebody that, uh, uh, Neil, you know, we were talking about uh, before the show, uh, Neil was a, a big fan of Michael Graves, and, uh, you know, he passed away. This is a guy who not only was into architecture, and a lot of architects uh, are also educators, but he was a project designer and involved in branding. Most, <laughs> it was it was kind of interesting that a lot of the people who were marking his passing were doing it by posting products that they own. Who did that? Whether oh. um, <laughs> a lot of people, I did. Yeah. I, be- I believe you did too. <laughs> like the, uh, the the tea kettle. The, any of the products that you can, you got from Target and things like that, you know. It was, yeah, for me it, it was, was the the pizza cutter and the vegetable peeler. Yeah, those are my yeah. my two pe- my go to my go to pieces. So, what I wanted to talk about sort of is a. Uh, it kind of reminded me. It started off as a, uh, I guess, a thought that I had when I think it was the ninth. Correct me if I'm wrong, Neil, because you will anyway. Um, that was the day that the uh, Apple announced the uh, Apple Watch. Was it March 9th? Putting me on the spot. Uh, I, dun, dun, dun. I think it was something like that. It doesn't anyway, matter. Anyway, so, so we got into this big texting debate back and forth between the three of us. Uh, you know, we were talking about, <laughs> oh, the, like we were, you know, you were announcing, oh, look at the, the new iMac Pro or, or whatever it was that you were. Correct him, Neil. Correct him. Correct me, Neil. Quick. Uh, MacBook, MacBook Pro. The no, new MacBook. Just, yes. No, the new just MacBook. MacBook. Yes. Oh, uh, was it just MacBook? Yes, just MacBook. They brought back anyway. the MacBook name. Oh, cool. Dropping the air and all that other stuff. Well, the air is still around. This is so not is an Apple Pro. podcast. Yes, no, it's it, not. It, it might be. <laughs> but, well, you know, okay, so we started talking about that. And around the same time, uh, out in the press, came, you know, I guess because Google was a little um, little mad that they were they'd fallen out of the spotlight. So they had announced the new um, headquarters in, uh, what, where's the place called? Mountain place View. Called? Mountain View. And, um I guess uh, Bjark Engels and um, Heatherwick Studios are doing this project, and it's dubbed, you know, Google 2.0. And the thing that I wanted to talk about and kind of have this discussion, because we really, you know, we've we've sort of done this before, but, you know, we haven't really talked about how technology has influenced architecture and vice versa and all of this other stuff. I mean, we, you know, we've talked about technology and we've talked about architecture, but here's something that's kind of interesting. And I know that you guys are big Apple guys, um, and I'm kind of the, the middle ground between Apple and <laughs> I'm Apple and PC, and it all just depends on where I sit at which desk. We're working um, on that, people. We're getting them to convert. <laughs> Well, I'm, I've got an Apple sitting right next to me, but unfortunately, I'm recording on a PC. <gasps> yeah, it my life more difficult. Yes, it does make yours. But so I, I sent you guys links to two videos, and we're going to be putting them into the show notes. Um, and the thing that you know I found very interesting is there was a lot of similarities in the discussion of the architects as they were presenting it. But the thing that actually made me really conscious about what was going on was first the presentation apple's presentation 
from the architects, the way the videography was, everything was very Apple, very streamlined, very produced. And um, in Google's was very kind of just loose. But what was what was interesting about it is the response of the building as it relates to the company it serves. You look at Apple's campus, uh, Apple Campus 2, and it is very polished. It is an Apple product. I mean, don't you guys think? Yep. I mean, it's... it's it, I'm with you. And then, and then you look at Google's campus, and it, it's... Um, it's a freaking mess. Oh, it, God. Well... I would say it's more community. It's, it's more of a community, but it, but if you look at it, it's, um, let me try to break it down. It's, it, you know, because if you look at, um, uh, Big's, uh, website and just the, the infographic that he has for it kind of really says a lot. It's a, a collection of workspaces or, um, what are they calling them? Uh, workshops that are kind of collected underneath this glass web. So it almost represents exactly what Google is. It's, it's kind of a collection of everything. I mean, we were yeah. we had this conversation about possibly the the demise of the Google Plus community. It just kind of shows that the kind of like the ups and downs and the things that Google has introduced and they've gotten rid of, and they've just got so much stuff, and they kind of basically just kind of wrap it up. They're in, hoarders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like they they wrap it up in this big kind of like almost hef- expandable hefty bag. Yeah, they're like that, they're shrink wrapped. But it kind of like you know meanders through the web through the uh, the landscape and then you look at the counter of apple and how very well and i wouldn't even call though, it a counter i mean it's they're not in response to each other i don't think no 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 no, no. i'm just saying that you know um each of these architectural responses are so very much representations of the company yeah that's a good point i think that's, that's a, a super important point because what's really interesting to me and I, i'll I want to hear the rest of what you have to say, but I I feel like these are both putting architecture in the spotlight. These these huge tech companies uh, have been hindered by their architecture, right? And so they're both building Campus 2.0s, and they're looking at ways to create a place for their futures, and they're doing it through architecture. I think that's just an interesting thing to think about, because there's a lot of entities out there that don't think like that, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that was interesting about in the video for uh, Google is they were talking about, you know, we've in the past, we just basically took over a building and we kind of grew in the building. You know, we grew with what the building could afford us and we really, you know, couldn't. And so they felt like the buildings were kind of hindering their own creativity and their own way of doing things. And it was interesting because I believe it was, uh, it, it could have been Foster and it could have even been Johnny Ives that said basically the same thing about theirs, that they're wanting to reinvent the way that we, that they work. And so both of these are kind of a response to the way each of these companies kind of view themselves as both creators and innovators and it's almost the the thing that I found so striking about it is the difference and the difference of the way that it was packaged. Yeah. I think that they're very different from each other, like you're saying. And I, I agree with you. Apple's is very 
product-like and polished, and Google's is more of a, a big idea that probably isn't as defined. I mean, obviously, it's not as defined. Apple's is under construction, and Google's is kind of a, a, a line in, in the sand at this point. Right. It's a, it's a set of renderings. but And, and I, I'm interested to see how they pull it off. Um, I, I hope they can, because I think it's it's going to be an interesting experiment. And I bet you they're even looking at it as an experiment because that's kind of how Google operates, right? Like how many of their products are in, are in eternal beta because they're, they are kind of experiments to them. They're not, they don't feel like they have to put out a finished product hardly ever. They like to live in the experimental stage. And I, I totally agree with you. These are very much like, their own companies and i think it's super interesting that apple chose foster and i think it's super interesting that google chose big and heatherwick because those architects are extremely different from each other but seem to match very well with where each company currently is i think it's really interesting that they are trying to redefine how they work and they're using architecture to enable that well one of the things that was interesting about the heatherwick choice was more, you know, I just recently started to be aware of a lot of his different work. You know, it's been published more recently. And he's got a very communal feel to the way that he his architectural response to whichever client is seems very communal. But then he, you know, kind of throws in this very almost like living machine type apparatus to it. They've got where he takes the natural world and kind of just basically melds it together with the built environment. And it's almost where you can't tell one from the other. And looking at some of the renderings, that was kind of where you could sort of see where they were going with this. And then you kind of almost can see the the big overlay and how he kind of does these very big, broad stroke gestures. The thing that I'm really interested in, in seeing is there's going to have to be they're either going to have to do a frank gary type thing where they're going to have to basically create structure to or they're going to have to invent the structure well don't you think there's some fry auto going on here oh yeah well (laughs) and you know what and that's actually i'm glad you said that because that is exactly kind of the tie-in that i wanted to make is because the thing about the the vision that i had when i was coming over the hill kind of coming into Berlin and I could see the the Berlin Stadium and all of these tensile structures just shimmering in the light and you look at Google's campus it's got that feeling yeah. it's got yeah. you know you're going to be able to kind of have almost that same kind of visual interaction first yeah I think something else that's really interesting about the kind of the contrast between these two projects is that the Apple campus is very inwardly focused. You know, they're a very private company. Uh, if you don't work in the company, I bet you'll never get inside the donut or the spaceship. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. And then because... I think Google is is uh, more more transparent of a company. They they announce things way before they come out with them. Um, they kind of prototype uh, in public. So, you know, mm. they've got the, the self-driving cars out there. Like I said, the things Google are Glass. in beta. <laughs> yeah, right. They put things out. And I wonder, I don't, I don't know, I don't remember reading or seeing anything about this, but I would imagine that some of their projects are going to interact with the public in a, in a much bigger way. Yeah, yeah. In the video, they do mention that uh, they want the public to be able to interact with their 
campus as as much as anyone who works for Google. And I can imagine there will be areas where that's not going to happen, but but that's cool to hear. I mean, that to me is a is just kind of like the Fry Auto Stadium, right? It, it's something that people are going to see and they're going to want to look inside the mystery box, right? They're going to want to walk up to these things and they're going to want to get in and and look at them and experience them. And to me, that is a big win for architecture because it's going to create, I mean, both, it's going to start a conversation, a big one, right? There's going to be a lot of people who think it's the stupidest thing ever. And then there's going to be a lot of people who think this is the greatest thing ever and, and all the different levels of gray in between. But, but it's going to be a great conversation that's going to be happening in public. One of the things I, I think that is really interesting about the Google Campus uh, or Google Campus 2.0 is uh, in the video they mentioned, you know, as, I, as I just said, with people interacting with the buildings or being a part of. Um, but I think where this really, if you, if you take it on a bigger scale, um, if you're familiar with the Valley on the weekends, I mean, there, there are some people at these places, but it's a giant ghost town around most of these uh, types of um, buildings that a lot of the tech companies are in. And one of the things that I think would be really interesting and that they're, it appears they're trying to do is they're trying to continue that activity all the time by encouraging people um, from out, you know, from around the area to interact with the buildings. They talk about having shops and other things. So where I see this uh, as being very innovative is in the fact that we can create maybe a walkable type community. Maybe there's a hope of some sort of residential as part of this. And so you've got the commercial, you've got residential, you have your live and your work all taking place in an area so that you can create a walkable community. And by doing so, you are better for the environment. You're not driving. You're not on the freeways. You're not on the roads. Um, and maybe you don't have to deal with as much parking and stuff like that. It wasn't clear in the videos or the the renderings if, if they're going to go that far with this. But I think if they hope to have that sort of interaction on a daily basis, hopefully one that continues over the weekends when a lot of these buildings just become ghost towns uh, or these but areas. they're still heating and cooling and they're still lighting them and they're doing all those things, right? Exactly. And so yeah. if that is all happening, hopefully... You know, there's more to this. There's more to than more to this than just okay. This is where I go to work um, because I think well, it, it you need to do that. And and I know Apple's response is doesn't really address that. Um, and and I don't you know that's probably a bigger issue that needs to be addressed on a larger, uh, more um, on a larger community scale than just one company, one building or multiple buildings, one company. So, um, but I, I, I think that's something that needs to be considered as well. These are not just entities. There's literally thousands of people that are going to work there. And how do you deal with them getting there and working there during lunch? And just, we, we need to build these as more communities because these, these companies are so big and there's so many employees. So I hope that's a part of this. It's not obvious yet. I think that's a definite thing that is being considered, at least with the Google one. But if you look at the trends in Silicon Valley, and this is a huge problem for architecture, and that's the topic of retention, right? Employee retention. And so these companies are doing a ton of stuff 
they're kind of doubling down on their own asset development to create places that people don't leave. So right. they want to create places that have everything. They respond to every need. They, there's obviously a ton of perks. There's a ton of um, freebies, you know, free food, places to sleep, places to nap, places to ride your bike, like all these things without actually leaving the campus. And I think Apple is definitely doing that. But again, they're doing it instead of looking at it as a place for the public to enjoy it. They're doing it as a place for their employees to enjoy it, yeah. which is just a difference in culture. And I think that that's fine. That's, that they get to decide what their culture is. That they're, but again, both of these kind of reflect their culture. They are they look like outward expressions of their DNA. Yeah. So I, I think that that they're going to be successful with that. And, and I can't stress enough that these are two huge wins, I believe, for sustainability. I mean, granted, they are building oh, some cool. brand new buildings that are ridiculously expensive and are going to use a lot of resources. But I think they're going to pay for themselves rather quickly, and they're also going to be, on the energy side, um, a huge win for sustainability. And I'm, I'm glad to see that Californ- that these are happening in California because there's – you know, we have a lot of issues here, and but we are also pushing sustainability forward at a, at a crazy rate, especially with projects with a, with these two huge companies. Well, one of the things that um, there's uh, another link that we'll have in the show notes, and that's to an NPR article. And um, it's a, a real quick four-minute interview that they had. And they were talking about Apple's commitment to sustainability where the former head of the EPA is now head of Apple's environmental responsibility. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what her com- complete title is, but Pre- vice president of environmental initiatives. And that would be Miss Lisa Jackson. There you go. Thank you very much. But so as she was talking about the building itself, it's completely clad rooftops and everything else with uh, solar panels more of the most cutting edge solar panels so you know you get a you know larger return of of energy that this is they're planning on this being a net zero building where uh they're not going to be drawing any power from the grid that it's they're going to generate their own power and things like that are very interesting one of the things that companies better come up with another business plan (laughs) you know what and (laughs) you know if they can take any page out of the book in germany where you know you've got whole communities that are basically completely clad with solar panels each residence essentially is creating their own energy it's just astounding and i think that i or at least i hope i'm I'm going to be the optimistic one here and hope that we really get to that point where every house is essentially creating its own energy so that there isn't a worldwide demand or i mean you know like grid demand for all of this stuff that you know each you use you create and use or you use what you create there you go let me try that in english (laughs) but um one of the interesting things about the npr interview was that this is another representation you know the the building in the campus itself for apple is very much a representation of what we perceive is the company in general and it's a very secretive one where she was saying that this is very much like an nih you know, National Institute of Health, where it is fenced off. It is a research and development um, company, and it's a research and development building, and it will not be open to the public. So you go in, 
it's only people, you know, only Apple people go in. So that that's an interesting response because, uh, you know, they were talking about how, you know, they're building all these beautiful parks on the, on the landscape. They're, you know, they've got this nice huge courtyard in the middle of the donut. And then they've got all these beautiful parks where they've removed, uh, the large seas of parking and large other buildings and stuff where they're removing all of that stuff. And it's never going to really be something that the, uh, um, community is going to be able to use because the community can't get on the campus. And I understand what Apple is doing, but it's kind of almost a shame that you're never really going to be able to see the building. It's it's not like a, and correct me if I'm wrong, Evan, because you just went there, that even though you can't get inside the sulk, you can go up to the building. Yeah, you can go around it. Right. But yeah, again, the sulk is a different animal right i mean it's just like a lot of the public projects we work on where they're fenced off they're gated off they are responsible for their own stuff and like i said before apple's a really secretive company right they're oh yeah yeah i I know and and that's what and that's kind of you know where i was going with this the you know it there are two companies striving for very similar goals um, very, you know, they're tech companies that are driving innovation. Um, I mean, how we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now if, if it weren't for these two companies creating what they've done. Throw, Absolutely. Throw Microsoft in the mix since we're doing this on Skype. But other than that, everything that we're doing right now is basically because of the innovations that these companies have really done. And it's, you, you said it best when you were saying that Google develops in the public eye, whereas Apple kind of develops behind the scene and then kind of springs it on you. And then everybody's, oh, ooh, look at that. That's awesome. And it's just kind of the way it is. And it, you look at how polished and how I really actually kind of like, I mean, it, it may remind me of a big, huge iPod wheel. <laughs> but still, I really like it. I I, th- I think there's you know something interesting about it. I'm kind of hoping, fingers crossed here, that if you could get all of the employees to basically run really really fast to one side of the uh, see it take off um, the things. Well, no, <laughs> and then jump up and down that they could advance the track. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I was, was going to say that felt dead. Oh, wheel. That, <laughs> Click that, wheel, come that on. didn't work. Sorry. <laughs> what, one of the things I find interesting about uh, Apple's response on this site is that, um, and I, I'll see if I can dig up some links on it uh, in the show and put them in the show notes, but uh, this is a former uh, site f- that HP had a very large campus on, and they had a number of different buildings and pretty much kind of covered it was like the 80 buildings or something it was huge uh, yeah it was huge <laughs> yeah i i didn't i didn't want to say a number because i i did i didn't I, know what I it could was be wrong. but yeah. uh, there were a, a lot of buildings on this site uh it pretty much covered the whole site it was buildings parking lots uh you know trees in the parking lots and such but um it was a typical uh silicon valley sort of business campus development And what I I really think Apple took a lot of care in is that, yes, they did create this very unique sort of singular product, if you will, as you, I think you mentioned Cormac, it's a, it's a product, it's their, their product of what they see a, a building for their campus to be. And 
but what's really, I think, in response to the environmental rate part of this is that 80% of this site will be open space. Yeah. It's going to be open space, rolling hills, walking paths, and trees. In fact, there's going to be 7,000 trees on the site. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. They're, they're literally started over almost a, uh, I don't know if it was almost a year ago, but they've been growing plants for this site for quite a bit of time already. Uh, they've right. been working in the backgrounds, working with uh, landscape companies about growing the trees and the plants for this so that it's ready when it's uh, ready to open. So um, I just think that Apple's response to this site is is very creative in that most of the site is going to now be open space, where before it was just a sea of buildings and parking lots and streets. And so yes. I think that's very yeah. creative. It's a great way to respond. We're going to put all these people in this magnificent jewel of a building and that's going to be self-sustaining power-wise, and yet we're going to return all this other space back to nature. And so I think that's really great. Uh, I don't, I'm just looking at the images from Google's campus. They didn't have one continuous site um, that like Apple has. So they're, they're building, they've got multiple buildings kind of spread out. And so they have a different response to this and that that may have more to do with just the areas that they had. Uh, but I think, again, as you mentioned at the top of the show, they're the same but different responses, very good reflections of what who these companies are. Google's kind of like everywhere, spider web, right? So the buildings are like that. And just like any architectural project, you work within the context and constraints that you have, right? So True. Thanks. Totally that, different. Did I you, steal you, your thunder there? No, no, no. You were going exactly where I wanted to go with this because so now let's take it out of the context of the of just these two particular buildings. I think these two are going to be excellent. Let me just say as a cheerleader on the sidelines, I'm really hoping that Google can do what they're hoping to do and right. pull this off. I agree. Because it's going to be a boon for architecture. Because these are going to be two two different art, you know, architectural responses to how the architects listen to the company or listen to the client and really embodied everything that it is that their client is as an architectural response. There's going to be people who are going to hate these buildings. There are going to people be people who love these buildings. But it's going to be a conversation that really helps kind of foster, you know, the the, the architectural conversation. And well, the, the, the thing I'm a little nervous about, and I so far with you, I, I totally agree, but I, I we had that podcast talking about Frank Gehry and the 98% and... Right. Uh, I think probably the biggest problem that architecture is facing right now is that people are talking about these types of buildings, right? Where they are yeah. the one on the pedestal, they're the ones on display, and everybody, every other architect out there is like, but this isn't, isn't day-to-day architecture, right? So yes, it is putting architecture into conversations, it's putting it, it's becoming a conversation piece, but it's not the majority of what architecture is. And it's m- seriously not the majority for how most people experience architecture on a but, day-to-day but basis. But isn't any press good press? I mean, if if people are talking about architecture, and especially maybe more so with Google's campus with their ambitious plan to create buildings that can be, they, they described it in the video as kind of moved and modified 
based on their needs. Yeah, and I think the example they used was converting a building from a, a manufacturing building to an office building to uh, uh, they used another example. I forget what, what it was, but making these big changes in the uses of these buildings. So um, I think that's really kind of an interesting thing that they're trying. And maybe it, you're right. It's not everyday architecture, uh, that most of us uh, listening to this podcast or speaking on this podcast deal with, but um, uh, it it is definitely something that uh, is getting that conversation. And, and hey, if people are talking architecture, that's a good thing for all of us, right? Yep. Yeah. Totally. Hey, let's take a, a sponsor break and we'll jump back into this here. So our sponsor this week is RCAT. Once again, I hope that you're not tired of hearing their name because they are an awesome resource for anybody in the building industry. Would you like someone to draw CAD details for you, create BIM objects for you, write specifications for you? Would you like this someone to do it for free? RCAT has already done all of this. You can search the RCAT libraries for these products and more free of charge, and you don't even have to register on their website to download the content. RCAT has created a website devoted to you, the building professional, and as we mentioned last week, they have a free app on the uh, iOS App Store as well, which is awesome for you uh, people who are out on the go. You can find building product information fast and hassle-free at rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. So thanks again, RCAT. We really appreciate your support, and we really look forward to seeing you guys at the AIA convention. Absolutely. All right. I thought of something else I wanted to talk about with that last piece there. So I I think it's going to be interesting how that part of it, Neil, that you were talking about, the kind of reconfiguring that how that's actually going to happen. I, I see this a lot with clients in my office where I, I the first two days of this week, I've been at a STEM conference, which is science, technology, engineering, and math, and sometimes people throw the A in there for STEAM, which adds art to it. The funny thing about these clients are that they want, in California, there's a big initiative, and I'm sure it's all over the all, all over the nation because of the new Common Core standards in, in mm-hmm. K-12 education, but they, they're trying to introduce interdisciplinary science, technology, engineering, and math courses, so people do project-based learning with yes. core principles from all of these different subjects that so you use a little bit of everything to solve problems. And I think what's most interesting for us as architects in this is that we are creating extremely flexible spaces. And I think, you know, that's kind of what Google is getting at with their solution, which is we're doing this now. We don't know what we're going to be doing, or in some cases, we do know what we're going to be doing in the future, and it's not going to be what we're doing now. So we're going to need to build flexibility into these different kind of zones. Like you said, Neil, they're kind of spread out. They're not all in one place. If you look at the the big bird's eye view, there's some near the freeway. There's some off in the wetlands. Or they're kind of all over. And it, it seems to me like a really smart way to do it. And we do that with our clients as well because we're talking about buildings that have to last at least 50 years, if not quite a bit longer than that. A lot of schools don't even get upgraded for 50 years. And so (laughs) we need to be able to build in this kind of ultimate flexibility. And it seems to me like they've taken that to another level with the the Google notion. Well, they're trying. I'm real curious to see how they 
how they execute this. Yeah, because they uh, say that they're t- they have movable stuff, right? And, and right. when you see the renderings, the scale of those it, it are not small. And I'm not talking about the tents. I'm just talking about what's the contents of the tents, right? Right, right. So I, I am also very interested to see how they're going to take that on because, man, like I want to learn as much as I can from this. This is going to be a great experiment. Oh, yeah. It's going to be on display for all of us architects to watch. Right. And and I think um, and, and hopefully we'll learn more about this as they progress. But they, they mentioned several things, one being cars. And and I know Google's got their self-driving car and, and it's it's certainly different. But that's a long that's a little ways off. It's not going to happen soon. And maybe that's part of the how they see things changing, because they do talk about getting people there, uh, moving people through the site and around the site. And uh, so I'm really curious because they they were very light on the details of how they're going to deal with the sea what their response is i should say to the sea of parking that uh, most of these tech uh, complexes have to deal with Um, i really kind of liked the description of the 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 trees just kind of being like these little pieces that you know they're just kind of sprinkled all over the place through these parking lots um, and and that's a real problem. So how, I'm real curious how Google's going to, and their design team is going to respond to how do we get people there and back and where do they park? Because at least for right now, the foreseeable future, the car is still going to be the mode of transportation that the majority of their employees are taking. That's And it's also why I'm real curious about the uh, mixed, I'll call it mixed use aspect that they didn't really call it that, but it's their they they mention in the video i'm real curious how they may <laughs> move forward with that the interesting that I, thing that i'd like to see you know especially with campuses this large that employ this many people who i'm just assuming just you know from some of these aerial views that both of the videos had you know when they're showing kind of like the surrounding and you just see these this sea of other tech companies and other big campuses and tons and tons of parking and everything else. And none of them are really taking, this will be, you know, a shock to the modernists here, but it really is not, I mean, mean, there's no concept of kind of like this urban context, you know, no kind of like new urbanism type thing where you're creating kind of like these little live work villages. And it's interesting because maybe Google's somewhat kind of touching on it, but they don't know yet. So they're not really emphasizing it, but there's an opportunity to, if we're wanting to get cars off the road, where is the opportunity to live closer, to be able to bike, to be able to walk to work, to be able to afford to be in those areas? I, I don't know the area enough, and Neil, you're your closest, really. You've got Apple and Google buses pulling people out of downtown to go work right. out there. I mean, it's right. a, it's actually a big problem. It's a huge problem, and it's one that I think everywhere across at least this country, and and, and maybe more so in this country than in in some areas of the world, because so much of this country was developed around the car. Right. And and so it's going to be really hard to break free of that, because there's so much infrastructure that has been built up around mass transportation, and mass car transportation, I should clarify. And it's going to be very, very difficult to break that. We almost need some sort of change in how we transport to really begin to uh, change that. And, And one example of this is 
1989 earthquake that happened in San Francisco took out a portion of this Embarcadero, or, uh, yeah, Embarcadero freeway, freeway yeah. that essentially, I don't know who in the hell approved this, but uh, essentially, so, if you've ever been to San Francisco decker. and you look at the uh, the waterfront uh, It just basically there, blocked the view. Yeah, it, yeah. Basically, they built a double-decker freeway that ran along the, uh, the Embarcadero there and completely blocked off the view of the bay. And the, one of the benefits, if there's any that could be said from an earthquake, totally. was that it, it destroyed that part of the freeway, and they ended up tearing it down, and it's revitalized that area of downtown, and and um, it's it's been it was one of the more fantastic things to have happened to that portion of San Francisco. Yeah, you go visit there, and there's people on bikes and running yeah. and rollerblades, right? Everybody's training for a marathon, right? And I, I went there to, to work in our, our office up there for a little bit, and, and, and the person w- went out to dinner with, they said, you know, people up here don't ask what you do. They ask what you're training for. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But I, I just find it interesting that it, it may take, you know, obviously we're not going to have major earthquakes tearing out our freeways and making changes, but it's really going to take those types of massive changes to, to change the way we're moving about our cities and, and doing mass transportation and, and, and getting away from the cars to, and, and, and turning these giant seas of freeway back to either nature or, or, or the people to, to live in. And maybe that helps solve the housing crisis. And I know this is all pie in the sky, never going to likely happen sort of things. But uh, but maybe it takes something well, like that to, and it's not, to move us forward. It's not going to solve it, right? It's it's but it right. It's well, it's, it's going to help. It's right? momentum, and I and I feel like I am very optimistic with these two proposals. And I mean, Apple's is a reality. I hope I hope Google's is too. I'll say that again, but I feel like they are solving on tape. They are trying to solve bigger problems than what's the newest app. Correct. What's Correct. the newest product? Like they actually are putting their money where their mouth is. And they're saying with great power comes great responsibility, right? They, they are these companies that have uh, billions of dollars in the bank and they're doing something with it that actually matters. They are actually trying to solve some of these bigger problems. And I think that right there is just setting a standard that other companies need to follow suit and do as well. It's, it's very cool on, on that level. No, I find it very interesting that you, you mentioned that uh, as, as both Apple and Google are trying to look to the future. I mean, the, it, you mentioned Evan earlier that, Google's much more upfront about what they're doing now. More, most recently, we've heard rumors of Apple uh, looking at building a car, perhaps. And um, I think what's very interesting about that is that these companies have grown so big with so much money. I mean, Apple, for instance, you know, has has more money than you know many countries have. And so when you when you're talking about massive amounts of money like that, you really can change or have an effect on the future and yeah, and what you can do universe, you right? can't exactly, exactly yeah to take that steve jobs quote literally uh they can do that and google is attempting to do that and each one of these it's very interesting that each one of these companies is starting their 2.0s their apple campus 2 google campus 2.0 with architecture 
and they're making a statement with their architecture first, and then the future will change based on what they're doing now. And it's very, it's a very exciting time. I think for architecture, it's getting that into the conversation and it's very exciting. It may not change what I do as a residential architect. Uh, you, you know, never know. But you never know. I mean, it really could have an effect. Well, it trickles down, right? And it does trickle down. Well, the thing that I see is an advantage, and, and let me go more, you know, new urbanist in this thought. But one of the big problems that California has is they developed with the car. Says the guy who doesn't live here, by the way. But you guys developed you guys developed with the car. So your whole infrastructure from all and this is all out west. Everything is so spread out. Everything is based off of the mindset of developing around the automobile, getting out, getting around, getting seat. My friend Mark says uh, form follows parking. Exactly. (laughs) And if you think about it, I mean, so, you know, you're talking about a lot of the different solutions that could, that could happen to kind of fix things um, transportation wise and parking wise and all of this other stuff are mass transit. And these are things that here in the East, we don't really have an issue with, well, I mean, we still have plenty of issue with cars being on the road, but but we have the other alternatives, the bus, the metros, trains, and everything else that are kind of built in that keeps us a little bit more consolidated. And so where I was really going with that isn't necessarily, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the consolidation kind of concept, pulling things in, pulling all of, pulling your, your living in, pulling your, your retail and, and uh, commercial all kind of in to a smaller core. Sustaining city. Exactly. Well, just, <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> kind of the whole philosophy behind Seaside when it started closing in on almost 30 years. I mean, they celebrated 25 uh, about a year or two back. and so, But was being able to essentially walk within five minutes and get to virtually anything, get to the market, get to all of these different services, the doctor or the dentist and stuff like that, go home and all of this other stuff and be able to have a a condensed. Now this is, you know, a very small, it's on a small parcel of land and everything else. There's other, there's other great examples too. Like Arcosanti, they had big plans to do that, right? Be completely self-sustaining or or look at Burning Man. I mean, once a year, a city of 80,000 people, you know, the largest temporary city in the world comes together with full infrastructure for a couple of weeks. It's, it's ridiculous, but they can do it. Largest temporary try going to a, an SEC football game. <laughs> That's the largest temporary city. <laughs> Does it have its own fire department and police department? And- <laughs> yes, it's called the campus security. <laughs> but I, I, know what you, I know where you're going. So, I mean, I think that that's... Th- it, from what I'm getting from the... It, and it's not a... It's, it's a nine-minute video from Google and... You know, what I'm getting from them is that that's what they would like to do is be able to build in that flexibility so that they can kind of respond to not just the way they work, but the way they live, the way they think. And as that evolves, so does the campus. Yeah, and I'm I'm optimistic all, again, because what's what's interesting to me is w- with big is that they've got these proposals and then they actually build them. Right. So. You've got all of these different icons on their websites and you go through them and you look and you can see the diagrams and you can see, 
what they're thinking. Uh, it's everything has a big idea, right? And you, right. and then you go scroll through the images, and and they a lot of them turn into real projects, right? And so that's that's really what to me makes this seem like it's actually going to happen is that there is precedent with yeah. this team that they actually make things. Oh happen. yeah, they're not and, just paper architecture. And if you go to um, some of the more recent ones, I believe it's uh, Arc Daily or something like that. They, you know, they did a couple of different articles on Heatherwick's work, and all of it's built, all of it's going. And, you know, and it's like I said, it's that very communal thing. You know, kind of coming full circle back to the architects and what we were just talking about on kind of creating this ever-changing dynamic of a space. I mean, that's what that's kind of what embodies Heatherwick's work right now. So I think it's a very interesting team that they put together just as much as I think it's an extraordinarily interesting team of what Apple put together with Foster. I mean, who better really to put, (laughs) to kind of pair up with Apple as a guy who's very technology based. I mean, from all of his past work to now, I mean, you know, it's just this, he, he works on polish. They seem like a good fit. It, it seems like a really good fit. Kind of like Big's got these enormous ideas of of stuff. And well, like he says in the video on that Dezine article that you have a link to, he, he talks about always trying to push the boundaries and get people thinking in ways that they're not used to thinking. And he actually said with Google, they didn't have to do that. It was it was, <laughs> it was like he he met his match. He he finally had one who's right. just like wait. Now they're pushing us. That doesn't, that's not normal, you know. (laughs) Wouldn't we all like to have clients like that? Exciting, Ah. yeah. Super exciting. I think when it comes down to it, sometimes when we talk about these architects, and and I'm the one who always can't stand that word, just these are, these are architects who get the choice jobs, the jobs that we would love to have. They've they've worked their asses off to be able to do that. And they work their asses off to do that. I mean, one of the comments in the uh, NPR article was, is when they were talking about budget, their only response was, yeah, we have one. They weren't going to tell it. I mean, we're, we know that it's in, it's in the billions. It's, it's not a it's not a small number. It's a huge number. Yeah, well, you get what you pay for, right? It's a huge building. So it's a huge number, right? But I mean, it's not just that. I mean, it's the whole reshaping of the landscape and restoring it sure. back to something more native to California. Yeah, I mean, it's not just the building. You got to think <clears throat> right. of the project holistically and a lot of people just focus on the icon, right? But it's really it, exactly. all, all this other stuff too. Yeah. Well, I think we're all pretty pretty excited about these projects, so for those of our podcast listeners who aren't in California, hopefully we didn't bore you too much. And I know, I know you're not Cormac, but I think um, this is very cool stuff to be talking about. Well, I about. just think it's an exciting time for architecture in general. You know, you said it best that these are things that we should be watching because it's not just going to be something that's going to be stuck in California. This is an idea that with these pioneering architects and students coming up, they're going to be watching and looking at these this work and saying, okay, you know, we were inspired by these kind of people when we were coming up. And that's so now that kind of embodies some of our work or at least our thoughts. It's going to do the same thing for the, the next crew coming up. So it's going to be the stuff that filters out throughout the whole architecture sphere. Yeah. And I think that just another, another thing that I'm looking forward to is Apple has been granting a lot of people a lot more in depth access to their company lately. 
there was the article on Johnny Ive in the New Yorker that was like a book. I mean, there's all these interviews that have been happening. Um, and so I'm hoping they do that with the architecture too, right? I, you know that there's a ton of innovation going on in this building. Oh, and yeah. and so I think that they probably will be putting a lot of it on display, at least with with uh, certain news agencies and, and tours. And I'm hoping that they that they give us a lot of behind the scenes kind of a look at even if we can't get into the, the spaceship, we can at least see some of the, the stuff in action. I'm sure as uh, shareholders, you guys will get a, a stockholder tour or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I will be there to that first shareholder meeting absolutely on that campus. You bet. You'll just be in the little building out on the edge, though. That's all. Well, maybe so. <laughs> Who knows? I want to see that giant theater they're building. Uh, yeah. uh, hopefully, they'll have the shareholder meetings in there. Well, they're, uh, you know, they obviously have some pretty cool products in the pipeline if they're building a theater to show them off in. Well, so real quick, one last question, though. So they're going to be moving into Campus 2. What happens to Campus 1? Oh, I think it still stays. You think, I mean, yeah. it, it's not It's not that they don't have enough people. They're in not research. building enough capacity into the new one for the staff that they have. Uh, well, yeah, that's, I, that's, I'm not sure. You know, I mean, that's kind overall. of what I figured. Yeah, yeah they, they Apple uh, has people in buildings all over Cupertino and the South Bay, so... Uh, they're going to consolidate a lot of the uh, outside uses of buildings that they currently are in in that location. Uh, but I believe the the main campus, the first campus, will still be there, still be operating uh, as it is today. For the interns, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They get to go to the old. They get to go to the old campus, yeah. leaky roofs and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. It's not Lakey Roos. It's a pretty nice place. Uh, I'm sure it is. All right, guys. Well, uh, with that, I uh, just want to remind uh, everyone to be on the lookout for us in Atlanta coming up in May at the AIA convention. And also thank ArcCat for sponsoring this episode of uh, Arcuspeak. And just remind everybody that if you have any questions or comments, please uh, leave them on the website at arcuspeakpodcast.com. And you can also visit our Facebook page, which we've been getting some likes over there. Uh, that's kind of been nice. Seems to be some people joining in on the conversation there. Uh, we definitely really appreciate We've our last few episodes. We've gotten some really great comments on, on our uh, website. So we really appreciate that. And then lastly, I uh, just want to throw out to mention, we do have a phone number. So if you'd like to call us and leave us an audio comment or question, you can uh, call the podcast at area code 415 415- Four eight four eight four nine six. And with that, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you uh, see you next time. Thanks everybody. Thank you.